episode 37, rounding third of the baseball podcast, another Monday episode. We've got a lot to talk about. Josh Donaldson maybe said a racist comment to Tim Anderson. Trevor Story is now the best player on the planet. Adley Rushman makes his debut and a lot of other good stories. We'll get into it. Today, Today I, consider I consider myself, myself the, luckiest the luckiest man, man on the face on of the, the earth. James, we are back, episode 37. Um, lots of interesting stories to talk about this week, as you know, most weeks. Last week, it was a lot of injury coverage and stuff like that, but we don't have any of that this week. But some controversial things to talk about after we break down the Sunday standings. Um, any any thoughts before we get into it? I mean, just special shout out to Lou Gehrig again. I feel like we don't, you know, talk about the intro a lot, but still pretty awesome. Lou Gehrig, Savage. Um, News is much better this week. Some negative, you know, controversial things, but a lot of great, fun baseball stories to get into. So I say, without burning any more time, let's get right into the Sunday standings. All right, let's do it. I'll kick it off. How about I start AL West? AL West this time. Same kind of stuff. You know, we have two elite teams at the top of the AL West, the Houston Astros at 27 and 15 and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim at 26 and 17, a game and a half behind them. Both these teams have been just tremendous all season long. Houston's offense is incredible. Um, and Justin Verlander might be one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. I picked him as my AL Cy Young, and I think he's got a pretty good shot at it right now. Um, and the Angels, Mike Trout is just unbelievable. Um, it's him and Judge for AL MVP. But the big story I think here is that in third place, you, taught, you have the Texas Rangers at 18 and 22. Not a really impressive record, but you know we talked about them last week as they had won four in a row. They swept the Angels. But the bigger story, the Seattle Mariners, 17 and 25. They just got swept at Fenway against the Red Sox, who've been struggling all season. Ten games behind the first place Astros, and only half a game ahead of the Oakland Athletics, who can barely field a team. So. Biggest story, I would say, in the AL West is the struggling Mariners. Wouldn't you agree, James? Yeah, I'd have to agree. At this point, I feel just not secure at all in my future's place. I feel like that is money. That is long gone. Um, they just cannot get it together. It's sad. It looks like they had some tools. Um, of course, you know, I'm not sure we talked about this, but Justin Upton signed a contract. He's in AAA working his way up to start on their lineup. I'm not sure if your division rival cuts a guy, you pick him up as your solution. But there's so much going wrong, you know, you got to test everything. Future looks very bleak. This season looks tough for Seattle. Yeah, it is unfortunate. You know, they, everybody on Twitter was describing them as America's team because of how fun they are to watch. But they have just really, really been struggling. Um, Robbie Ray does not look like he did last year. And some of their new additions, Jesse Winker, some of those guys have not been performing. So it looks like it's the Astros and Angels. Yeah, and you know. We knew that was going to be the case. It really does shock me, though, that Texas is in the third spot. I'm glad you highlighted that. Um, outside of that, nothing much to report. Uh, 
Another division where there's not much to report is the AL East. Uh, actually has the exact same breakdown as we had last week, and that is with the 29-12 and 12 New York Yankees leading the division, blowing everyone out of the water and continuing to grow their lead. You've got Tampa Bay uh, five games back, so, you know, a little bit of a distance, but easily closable. And then you have Toronto still in that third spot. Still, you know, they have a 22-19 and 19 record. At least they're up above 500. They could look to close that. And Boston has been terrific recently. We may get into that later. I know we want to talk about a lot of that. that has to do with Trevor's story. Feels like Fenway is cores now, making some things click. But they're still 10 games back. They're on a great win streak, a great 8-2 and two last 10. Still fourth place in the division, 10 games back. They may never close this gap. I think the start was so slow, they may not come back. And Baltimore, just atrocious, 12 and a half games back, 17 and 25. They moved the wall back in left field. It's hurting other teams. It's hurting them. We knew they weren't going to win. But, hey, Adley Rushman, welcome to the show. Yeah, and I think the Red Sox are the big story here. I mean, they've been kind of a topic of conversation throughout this season so far. But, look, they're only 19 and 22. They're three games behind 500. It's super early in the season. They've won five in a row. Like you said, they're eight and two in their last 10. Let's not forget last year, this was a team that struggled early too and ended up being two games two games away from going to the World Series playing the ALCS against the Astros. So I don't know. I think this team is a chance. Um, but yeah, the rest, of the, the rest of the division is just stacked. Yankees are probably the best team in baseball. Rays have struggled a little bit recently. I think they dropped a series to the Orioles. Um, and Blue Jays are a little bit interesting. They won a series against the Reds. They dropped the last game of the series, but they started two games set in St. Louis today, which I'm pretty excited about to watch um, just here in 20 minutes. But yeah, I, I think you covered it well. Big stories here is the climbing Red Sox. Yeah, you know, I do like that you pointed out that they are only three games uh, below 500. It shows how good this division is. I mean, it is going to be a cutthroat wire-to-wire race. You can't close on any of them except Baltimore yet. It's going to be a fun division down the stretch. Also to note, like the Red Sox right now, they're only three games out of that third wildcard spot. Only the White Sox are between them and that third wildcard spot that's currently owned by the Blue Jays. So they are absolutely still in it if they can keep this hot streak up. But how about the AL Central? Um, Another division that's kind of similar. We have the Twins up top at 25 and 16. Um, They are four games ahead of the field. They're just looking really solid. You know, I think that's the best way to describe the Twins as solid. They're not, you know, sweeping every series they play, but they're winning almost every series they play, whether it's two to one win or or whatever the case may be. They're looking really solid. Very Uh, consistent. Yeah, definitely. They won two uh, or they swept the Royals. They won two to one against the A's. Um, and then they won two to one against the guardians. And so they're just, they get series wins. And if you want to be in the postseason, you win series throughout the season behind them, Chicago white Sox who are picking it up now winning two out of three in New York, 21 and 24 games back. And then in third place, the struggling Cleveland guardians right now at 17 and 20, they got swept in a two game set against the reds at home. That was not ugly. And then they, or that was <laughs> ugly. And then they split a two-game series with the Tigers. So just just tough so far, 17-20 and 20 for them. And then, like we said last week, a big drop-off, and you have the Detroit Tigers and Kansas City Royals both at 14-26 and 26 with huge negative run differentials, the two lowest in all of the American League. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, once you get to the bottom of this division, just not a lot of life, not a lot of excitement. But that sort of pushes me to a division where there's a ton of life, bunch of excitement. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. That's the National League West. You know, not a lot of changes here. The five is still the same. You have the Dodgers on top playing very good as of late, 27 and 13, 7 and 3 over their last 10. You know, they lost last night. Uh, terrible costly error by Max Muncy. We'll get into that later in the show. Half game back, right on their tails, the Fernando Tatis Jr. less San Diego Padres. Still getting it done. If they can stay this close and then plug Fernando back in, they could win the division. You know, I was on them early. I know you weren't so hot on them. Like what I'm seeing out of San Diego. And then right there, five games back, San Francisco. Been struggling a little bit as of recently. You know, dropped their four and six over the last ten, but they're still fairly consistent. And I think they can squeeze some wins out. And the difference here that we've seen is both Arizona and Colorado, your four and five respectively, have now both dropped below a 500 record. Arizona's at 21 and 22, so right there. Colorado 19 and 21, also right there in terms of being 500. Um, I expect those teams to kind of keep dropping, but nothing really new or exciting to report in the NOS. Dodgers, very good at baseball. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers aren't just incredible. They're 15 and 5 at home. I think this division kind of stacks up exactly how these teams have been playing, right? The Dodgers have been playing exceptional. They have a plus 88 run differential, which is by far the most in the MLB, um, the Yankees are at second at plus 67. Um, and then the Padres, the Padres have been overperforming Giants, Diamondbacks, Colorado. You know, if you go, if you look at run differential, for example, it goes right down in that order. But I think the biggest story is the Padres who did sweep the Giants in San Francisco, which was a pretty impressive series win. Um, but yeah. I think that moves us to the NL Central real quick to close this out. Or no, you got the NL East, but still. NL Central, Brewers, Cardinals up top, obviously. Brewers 26-15, and 15, Cardinals three games behind that, 23-18. and 18. Um, Both of these teams are just clearly the best teams in the division. Uh, Cardinals just came off a monster sweep uh, against the Pirates, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, and the Brewers have been looking pretty solid. They start a series tonight against the Padres, which I'm pretty interested before they come to St. Louis. Um, but they won three or two out of three against Washington and then two out of three against Atlanta in some crazy games that we talked about last week. So pretty good for them. Third place, though, the negative 88 run differential Pittsburgh Pirates. And I think that's kind of a funny stat because I think it's mainly because they lost 21 to zero to the Cubs and then. Cardinals dropped 18 runs on them on Sunday, but they sit at third at 16 and 24 Cubs, 16 and 24 Reds, 12 and 28. Like we've said over and over, this is a two horse race Cardinals Brewers. Um, nobody else is really even competing in this division. You know, Max, I have a question for you. I think we would both agree that the American league and national league central are both the weakest divisions in their leagues. Which one has their both kind of two horse races? Which has the hardest drop off after two? I would say it has to be the NL Central because I, I think after the first two, right, you have Pirates, Cubs, and Reds who all are in this kind of rebuild mode, right? None of those teams are really trying to compete. Where the Guardians, I wouldn't say they're necessarily in rebuild mode because they 
kind of have the same core players. They've got good offense, these young guys coming in. And I think the Guardians are definitely better than any of those three teams that I listed in the NL. But after that, I mean, Tigers and Royals are as bad as they come. So, Yeah, no, I agree with that breakdown. I think it's just something the Guardians provide a little bit more there. You know, you look in the NL Central after you get past those two. I mean, they're barely baseball franchises. And that's not a (laughs) shot at their fans. It's just what they're doing, the, the team that they're marching out there. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. And to round this out, uh, another very competitive division, the National League East, uh, not really a big change in the standings here. The Mets are still on top despite the loss of Max Scherzer, but we will see how that kind of plays out in the following week. They are at 28 and 15 sitting on top behind them. You have eight games back. The Atlanta Braves on 19 and 22, also eight games back. Philadelphia, 19 and 22, uh, exact same record out of those. But it's a huge division there, and, and they're at risk of, you know, not qualifying for a wild card. If depending how the National League East and Central or National League West and Central plays out, you may only get the one division winner out of the East, which would be crazy. Still, plenty of time for Philadelphia and Atlanta to pick it up. Um, and fourth, you have the Marlins. You know, they've split five and five over their last 10, eight and a half games back. It seems like they're just going to pretty comfortably coast in that third spot. And then the absolutely abysmal Washington Nationals, 13 and a half games back, completely out of the conversation. I mean, really just terrible feeling for Juan Soto. Yeah, this is a weird division because the Mets are obviously exceptional. Um, they, they have been this whole season. But after that, it gets kind of weird. You know, obviously the Braves won the World Series last year, but all of these teams are, I guess, underperforming, right? The Braves, uh, 19 and 22, Phillies, 19 and 22, Marlins, 18 and 22, all within a half game of each other. And if you look at the NL wildcard standings, which are inevitably where these three teams will end up, uh, assuming the Mets stay hot, and I would expect them to with their pitching. But you have Padres, Cardinals, Giants holding the three spots, D-backs, Rockies, and then you have those three teams, Braves, Phillies, Marlins. I just don't think I, – I think those teams are in trouble unless they, they really pick it up. And it seems like maybe they're just all beating up on each other. But I don't know. A lot of question marks there. Yeah, it'll be interesting come playoff time when it's really time to keep track of the wild card position. But, I mean, it looks like the Padres and Giants could steal a spot there. Of course, I think the Brewers or Cardinals, respectively, are going to take one. You know, they're going to need to start winning games if you want to be there in the wild card picture. I also find it interesting that Miami is one good series away from being two in this division. So, interesting for them. They kind of have been bailed out by the fact that the Phillies and Braves are both uh, not playing so great recently. Yeah, I want to I want to find the list of teams who won a World Series and then missed the playoffs the next year. I know it's happened a couple times. I'm sure it's happened a bunch of times, but I know the Giants did it one year when they won the World Series and then they missed the playoffs the next year and then won the World Series the next year. Um, but yeah, interesting. James, I mean, are you ready to jump in? Maybe the story of the week in in sports, kind of. It's been all over the news. But this is this Josh Donaldson versus Tim Anderson kind of comment that triggered a bench-clearing altercation. It was not a brawl by any means, but very controversial. A standoff. Josh Donaldson 
calls <laughs> repeatedly calls Tim Anderson Jackie Robinson <laughs> during this weekend series in the Bronx. Uh, Josh Donaldson, obviously the third baseman for the New York Yankees, and Tim Anderson, the shortstop for the Chicago White Sox. And Josh Donaldson repeatedly calls Tim Anderson Jackie Robinson, whether he's saying, hey, Jackie, or things like that. And it's a, in reference to a comment, allegedly, this is what Josh Donaldson says, it's in reference to a comment that Tim Anderson made in 2019 calling himself the modern-day Jackie Robinson. So Josh Donaldson claimed after the game that they had some inside joke, and he said it before. Um, but Tim Anderson took exception to this. And, you know, eventually once it came out what he said, so did basically the entire White Sox staff. And, and even the Yankees manager, Aaron Boone, had something to say about it. But, James, let's just start with this. Where do you – how do you feel about this? What? How do you think just a listener should take it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a complicated question. I think the MLB had a good statement, which um, I don't know if you put this in yet, but uh, Josh Donaldson was handed a one-game suspension and a fine of which he is appealing – um, the MLB essentially said, you know, we can't prescribe the intent or what Josh Donaldson meant since that intent was a little refuted, but it was not a kosher joke, if you will, or not an okay thing. It's hard to know how to take it because, look, I, you know, I'm a huge Jackie Robinson fan. He's literally my favorite human being that has ever walked this planet, but I don't know how I feel with the Tim Anderson calling himself a modern day Jackie Robinson. That was really in a comment in terms of making the game fun, which my problem there is there are multiple guys, 10, 20 of them that really make the game fun. So it's like, you're not quite trailblazing in that exact same environment as the first African-American professional player in major league baseball. But it's also just not an okay thing for Josh Donaldson to say. Look, even if you take what he's saying as truth, that he was just kind of doing this inside drawing at Tim Anderson, and it's an inside joke, which Lance Lynn did comment on uh, and said, I think it was Lance Lynn who commented on it. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but one of the White Sox pitchers commented and just said, yeah, that's not – you don't really have inside jokes with people you don't like. And Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson have – a storied history of fighting last week. There was some shoving on the base path kind of led to another weird encounter. Right. Um, but again, like you just can't say it because it's so distasteful. Even if that's your meaning, you have to understand that negative connotation. If that gets to the media or the teammates and the whole altercation started, Yasmani Grandal kind of got in Josh Donaldson's face when he approached the plate after he found out what he said to Tim Anderson, but it's just a comment that you can't make. I mean, Tim Anderson, you know, very clearly, a black major league baseball player. So it's like that there's questionable connotation at best there. Why are you saying this? That's kind of my take. It's like, look, you may not like the Tim Anderson comment about Jackie Robinson, but that's not Josh Donaldson's area to fight or his avenue to stick up for Jackie Robinson and that legacy. But you just can't say this statement. I mean, it looks absolutely tone deaf. Yeah, I, it's an interesting comment, and it's 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 a, usually with these scenarios, it kind of becomes a he said she said of what was said. But no, every everybody agrees on what was said on the base path. Um, but Tony Larusa called it a racist comment. The, the White Sox manager Aaron Boone um, even had an interesting thing to say. He didn't necessarily take Donaldson's side at all. You know, usually you see your players do that, but. He basically said things along the line of, you know, when I first heard him say Jackie Robinson, I was very taken aback. Um, you know, 
I don't think that needs to be said. And, and I think he made a mistake. He also said, which I agree with, that I don't think Donaldson was trying to be racist. Like, I, I don't think he had racist intent. But I just think it's, <laughs> you could have said a lot of better things. It just seems like something you could have easily avoided saying and that doesn't need to be say, said. And on the, uh, the inside joke piece, I don't know if I buy that. Like, that just seems... Like, it's not like these guys played on the same team. It's not like they like each other. Like, do they really have some inside joke? Um, and he, that, only Josh Donaldson has said that they do. So it's not like Tim Anderson's coming out and saying the same thing. Um, I don't know. I think it was just in bad taste. I don't really think he deserves to be suspended or fined for it. You know, I, I think it was a comment that could just be taken one way or another. And I don't think the MLB needs to come down harshly on it. And he is appealing. But... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's hard to necessarily go suspension there. I think it's just kind of one of those things where the whole baseball community just kind of goes to Josh Donaldson, like, what were you thinking? And you just kind of move on there. Um, you know, again, I don't think it's his fight to fight. I can understand how Tim Anderson, it, from Josh Donaldson's perspective, it may seem weird that Tim Anderson would refer to himself as Jackie Robinson, then take offense to it. But also, it's very easy to see how from Tim Anderson's perspective, you could say that. And when someone else says that, that's not okay. I think the whole thing should be avoided. Rule of thumb for anyone out there, you will never, ever be Jackie Robinson. Don't try and compare yourself. Rule of thumb to everyone out there, you should avoid referring to other people of color as other famous people of color. Just a questionable statement. I think if all of that was followed, it's a non-situation. Tim Anderson got the last laugh, too, hitting that monster three-run homer on Sunday Night Baseball. He did, which we'll get into, but he definitely he got the last one on this series for sure. How about we move to our next topic? Um, you know, we talked about the Yankees who are staying in the AL East. The hottest player on the planet right now, Trevor Story, who signed this huge contract with the Red Sox, started off so piss poor this season. You know, we talked about him as our worst player of the week, I think maybe a couple times. I know I did it at least once, but he has been on an absolute tear. He had the three home run game. He followed it up the next day, hitting a grand slam. He hit another homer the next day. He has six homers in the last seven days, 14 RBIs, five walks, only four strikeouts for a guy that, you know, typically strikes out a lot. Um, Nine hits and 25 at bats. Six of those being home runs. Just been on an absolute tear. And one of the main reasons this Red Sox team has so much momentum. Yeah, and I think to me this is a great time. You know, I sent out a little video on the Twitter. But rounding third, player watch literally ends slumps. I mean, I take all the credit here. We've had Bryce Harper. We turned him into one of the best hitters on the planet. We turned Trevor Story into one of the best. Jose Abreu was my, like, bad player watch last week. Smacks a nice home run first of the season. I mean, it – uh you can't make this up. Like, I think that the players are listening. They feel bad that they're underperforming. Um, and when we bring it to their attention, then they get in the cages, they watch the film and they get going. It's very clear what's happening here. We are willing to take payment to make you the slumping player of the week. So you can turn it around, you know, just send us a DM. We can arrange all that. But yeah, Trevor's story, his bat is on fire, like scorching fire. And what's crazy about all these home runs, he keeps dropping them on top of the green monster. They're not little short port shots. He's just leaving it up there and giving the fans on top of the monster a souvenir. Incredible run. 
Yeah, and I'm a fan of it. I mean, why not? Let's have the Red Sox be competitive as well. You know, we already have three good teams up there who are all playing really well. Let's make it four. It makes it more fun. I think I like a lot of guys on this team. I wouldn't mind them seeing. I wouldn't mind them uh, or seeing them play well. You know, Devers is playing out of his mind. Bogarts is playing great. Kike has picked it up a little bit. Um, and now Trevor Story, this team could be exciting. Eovaldi had 11 Ks yesterday. Yeah, and I, I think it all comes back to preseason. We said this was going to be the most contested down-to-the-wire division. You need the Red Sox to be firing to win that crown, and I think that's what we have here. So hopefully they keep it up, keep it interesting, and it gives us some great series late. Yeah, I mean, six home runs, 14 RBIs in seven days. I mean, that's what you want in a month, let alone a week. Which I do have to ask, Max, did they change the baseballs? I mean, it's been home run city. Josh Rojas only had 13 homers in his career, had a three home run game the other day. The baseball seems to be flying a little bit. I don't know if it's different. Maybe it's just the weather's heating up, but I'm liking the excitement. Yeah, I was going to say, despite the fact that it was snowing in Colorado the other day for the Rockies game, it's been heating up everywhere else, and that does allow the ball to fly further. And offenses has picked up a tick. Um, if you just look at the numbers across the sport, which is good to see. So maybe they are. Maybe they are. Maybe everybody's also just heating up from a lack of um, spring training. So it's good yeah, to see. That could be. Speaking of people heating up, San Francisco Giants fans are back at it again. They are in rare midseason form um, <laughs> in this uh, sweep that we talked about. It was a sweep, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, in, this, in the sweep the Padres had over the Giants uh, – Chaos broke out in left field. Um, what had happened was Yerickson Profar, you know, ball out of play, was tossing it to a Padres fan he saw in the stands. Giants fan intercepted the ball and threw it right back at him. Pretty funny. Maybe, I don't know. Profar didn't like it, takes the baseball, throws it back at him. They throw the baseball plus some beer cans back at him, plus a bottle. Then later in the game, a ball is hit out to left field. And this is even the crazier incident. Already, that's insane to be throwing that at him. But with a live ball, he was fielding in left field. Fans started throwing cans and bottles at him in the middle of an MLB play. I mean, anytime you're throwing garbage or throwing anything at players, professional athletes or really anyone, you're making a huge like mistake that's not okay. But in the middle of him trying to field a ground ball and like a live play, they're throwing bottles at it just absolutely incredible like just terrible stuff we're seeing there I'm, I'm not surprised it's Giants fans I mean you're gonna get what you're gonna get Profar called on the worst fans in the league Machado came off in the seventh inning after that happened hot yelling at the uh, security in their dugout like hey can we get security to deal with this just an issue Max we've seen all around the league and like where is this coming from it's just a total lack of respect I mean it's not only that you're disrespecting the game and the player by throwing things, but it's such a safety hazard. I mean, throwing beer bottles and literally baseballs at players in the outfield, they're not looking. They're not paying attention. That can cause serious danger, and it's a total safety concern. I don't see, like, what would cause a fan to do that? It's just it's just really sad to see. We saw it earlier with the Guardians and the Yankees and now we're seeing it again, again here. I don't think I can comment on the Giants fans. You know, I, I don't have any reason to say they're the worst, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I mean, that's Profar's word. I personally, like, I would back it up, but that is completely biased. I will say 
The Padres are not innocent either, though. They did throw a can at Cody Bellinger early on, but that was a one-to-one situation, so that seems more like one screwed-up fan. Um, You know, I don't really blame the fan base on that. But this was, again, like the Yankees situation, multiple fans. And like you said, for me, it's like he's fielding a live ball and they're throwing glass bottles at him. I mean, that has the potential to go catastrophic. Just an insane situation. It needs to get out. I don't know, like, what security needs to do, but, like, this needs to stop happening. This is not okay. Yeah, I hope there's disciplinary action taken against those uh, fans. And usually with stuff like this, there is. So it's just terrible to see. Why would you do this? Just last thing I'll add is if you're a fan, if I'm a Dodgers fan and I'm at Dodger Stadium and I see another Dodgers fan throwing stuff, that's a knock for the whole fan base, for the team, the club, the organization. I'm instantly stepping in to stop that. So that's kind of what also surprises me. Like if I see my own fan throwing stuff at professional athletes, I'm like, whoa, what are we doing here? I mean, come on. So I don't know where the rest of these fans are to be like, guys, like, can you not behave nine inning baseball game? You can't refrain from throwing shit at players. I mean, just a clown, just clown factory in San Francisco. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. Um, I think that's enough on that because let's move to a more happy note. Um, so over the weekend, number one prospect in baseball, Adley Rushman, uh, catcher prospect for the Baltimore Orioles, finally made his MLB debut. Um, you know, he was one of the most look forward to prospects to seeing his debut, and it's been pretty delayed. You know, a lot of the guys have already, a lot of the rookie guys have already gotten their first start. He's 24 years old. Which, James, I know you noted here, he's older than Juan Soto, who feels like he's been in the league for, I mean, he has been in the league for like three or four years. He, I mean, if you think about that, he's making his debut at 24. Juan Soto's crossed the, won a World Series and crossed the 100 home run mark. I mean, just playing totally different. <laughs> it just is still insane to me that Juan Soto's 23. Like, I would forever peg him at like 27. He's just made that impact. His career is going to be great. Uh, Adley Rutschman was the first overall pick in the 2019 class. He's a switch hitting catcher, which is where some of that benefit comes from. Um, so just, you know, when the Orioles really needed a good moment, this is kind of something to look forward to. I do have a knock on it, though, because what's that you had as Baltimore, you had since 2019, you have this highly touted prospect. You have all the time in the world to make this start magical. They announced, you know, they called him up, but they announced he would start at 8 a.m. that day, the day of the game, which was the same day that the Preakness was also running in Maryland. It's a big day in the state. Everyone's at the Preakness. It, it just, to me, didn't make sense. Like, I want to market, if I have a number one overall pick, he was a number one prospect, awesome guy. You have a team that doesn't have a lot going on. I'm making this a giant event. I'm trying. They only had 17,000 announced attendance at this game. You got to make this an event and sell that place out. Show them Camden as its finest. It's a great club. Show them that. So I'm a little disappointed in how they handled kind of this debut. I think that's a good point. I mean, I think they maybe could have done a better job. But one thing I will say, like a lot of the videos that came out of like this whole kind of episode were pretty good. You know, they they had the video of them surprising him uh, in the in the clubhouse, telling him he was being called up. There was a great video of him coming out to start for the first time and taking it all in, doing the 360 look around. Um, So that was good to see. And then his whole family there, he hits a triple for his first hit. Uh, Same thing Manny Machado did when for his first hit in the Baltimore organization. 
but it was just a great moment all around. Lots of good stuff out of this. Yeah, I do love those videos. We saw the great video with the manager telling him and his teammates all knew, so they agreed. The second the manager said, hey, you're going to Camden Yards, the whole minor league AAA team comes in and they're going nuts for him. I love those videos. They did it for Julio Rodriguez. This is incredible content, catching some of these superstars when they first find out that after decades and committing their whole life to baseball, they are finally going up to the show. Awesome moment. Love that video. It's just like, then make the make the debut match that. Still awesome stuff. Can't wait to see what this kid can it's do. Switch hitting quality. catcher. It's definitely quality content. They're always good videos when you see them, for sure. Well, I, I think with that, that pretty much covers the Adley Rushman. We'll see where he goes. Could be the future. Um, so far, if you're a star in the Baltimore organization, it means you're going to go play somewhere else. Hope yeah, James, I don't know. Case. This next topic, I don't know anything about. So I'm going to throw it to you. You kind of described it to me, but I want to hear so, this. This is cool. Yeah, this was to me like maybe up there for story of the week. Just an incredible story. And that is MLB The Show 22. They got greenlit with the Holiday family to give Doc his card. Talking about Roy Holiday, uh, you know, rest his soul. Um, died in an airplane accident a couple of years ago. But he got the the card and MLB The Show um, where you could unlock him and use him as a starting pitcher. Uh, and the way this works is an MLB The Show. I know, Max, you're not an avid player, but there's progressions. So you can progress up to five times. Every progression, the card gets higher stats. The first card in all of the game that gets progressed to five, which is the maximum value is a one out of one. So that's a reference to, you know, baseball card trading, a one out of one card, meaning it gets a special super boost. It's the only card in the entire game that will have those attributes. The cool story here, Roy Holiday's son, Braden Holiday, got the card, stayed up all night and grinded to get his dad's five of five progressed one of one card, just an incredible story, kind of a touching moment. And he does a little, he streams MLB the show content, just one of those feel good stories when you see that he did it and he was on Twitter, just like kind of warms your heart to see like he went out there, he grinded and he forever will have the one of one MLB show card of his dad. Yeah. I mean, that that's pretty cool. I mean, doing that for your dad and grinding when there's only one of something, I'm sure it's pretty sought after. So putting in that grind's pretty good. Um, I mean, Roy Halladay, just if I like say a few things about him, he's for people who don't know, he was one of the best pitchers ever. I mean, he threw that no hitter in the, in uh, the NLDS game one against the Reds, only the second post post season, no hitter in baseball history, other than Don Larson's perfect game in 1956. He also only gave up one walk in that game, so pretty close to a perfect game. But that, that's pretty cool to see um, his son grind after that card. And, yeah, pretty tragic death a couple years ago. Yeah, and you just know it kind of had to be a touching moment, and it was cool. He said that the family had to give approval and all that, and he did it the day after, which in itself is a crazy feat, um, got the card. Another just really touching great baseball story along the same vein Starling Marte has been struggling. Uh, his grandmother passed recently. He's been on uh, bereavement leave. In his first game back, his first at-bat, the first pitch he sees, smacks one out of the park, home run, points to the sky. It's got to feel like a magical moment from his grandmother. Just you're happy to see. I mean, he's been having a really tough time with other circumstances as well. 
So to kind of see that and you could see the whole Mets clubhouse react and it was just kind of an emotional moment. Another one of those heartstring baseball moments. Yeah, definitely one of those heartstring moments. I mean, moments like these, and we've seen them before with the, the Angels throwing the combined no hitter on the day they were honoring, honoring Tyler Skaggs or D Gordon's home run after Jose Fernandez died. Stuff like that is just, it's just magical to see it in sports. It really defies what you expect to see in any game or what, what, um, what is possible. And so this was just another one of those amazing moments. And I mean, you could saw him pointing to the sky right after he rounded first base. It was great. Yeah. It was one of those, you can't write this like Hollywood can't even write this stuff. So, um, you know, all the best there hoping, uh, he can kind of get back and find his groove, um, but definitely had to be a special home run for him. Um, yeah, for sure. And I'm glad to see him back in the lineup as well. Yeah, it's a good addition for the Mets. Speaking of special home runs, I know there was a pair of special home runs uh, for you, Max, the other day, if you want to touch on that. Yeah, to Albert Pujols. You know, he's been really slumping, to be honest. Actually, not slumping from the plate, because honestly, he's getting a lot of timely hits and getting on base. But from the for the race to 700, which he was at 681, he's at two prior to this weekend. He went from 679 to 681. He's been really slumping. Didn't seem like he'd get another one for a while, if, if at all. But over the weekend, he hit two towering home runs um, in the Cardinals' 18-4 route of the Pirates. I, I was actually at this game, so it was fun to see. I didn't see his second home run because it was – top of the ninth after a rain delay in an 18-0 game or whatever it was. So I wasn't, I had to get out of there, but it, it was great to see 682, 683. I don't know if this puts him back on pace because he's still got 17 to go. And at the pace he was going prior to this game, um, he, he wasn't really on track. And his second home run was off of a position player. So, you know, he's not going to get those type of meatballs all the time, but 696 is A-Rod, so that's kind of the next milestone before 700. So if he could at least pass A-Rod, that'd be cool. Yeah, you know, he could still do it. Who knows what Albert's capable of. It may be August, and he's looking down the face and not in the record, and he may become the best hitter on the planet. That is legitimately reasonable. He may just go, ah, I'm going to have a couple multi-home run games. I know almost all the baseball community, probably outside of Cubs fans, is sitting here just praying he gets to 700. would be an incredible moment in a season that we've already seen a ton of historical feats one yeah it was great in Pittsburgh too like after he hit well first of all he didn't start the game so he came off the bench for Arenado after the game was out of hand Pirates fans gave him a standing ovation as he came to the plate for the first time and then gave him another standing ovation after the home run just because it's special to see a guy like that hit one more home run in in his last season yeah, and I mean, he's look, he's one of the best hitters to ever play the game of baseball, certainly in this generation. Um, so incredible to see their other incredible thing out of that Cardinals game. Speaking of kind of Albert, we had Albert close out. Uh, obviously, then it get awarded a close in that giant uh, Sunday night baseball game. But his other farewell compadre, Yadier Molina, got his time on the bump to close out this romp in Pittsburgh. It's the Cardinals Sunday special. You know, last Sunday... On uh, Sunday Night Baseball, we got Albert pitching. This Sunday, we get Yachty pitching. I mean, it's good when you're blowing teams out by that by that much. Are we going to see the trio completed? Are they going to wait and pull Wayno out of the uh, bullpen to close his game so we get the big three finish all closing games next Sunday, this Sunday? 
I don't know. Wayno pitches pitches enough. He's got to stay healthy so him and Yachty can break the record for most battery starts. That is true. That record uh, staring down the barrel of it. Awesome stuff. Uh, Yachty also gave up a home run, uh, and it was pretty funny to watch his reaction because you could tell he did not like it, and it was very clear that he's like, I don't know why anyone does this. It's a terrible feeling to stand up there while they run the bases. Yeah, it was great. Cardinals playing Blue Jays right now. I can't wait to go watch it. Um, But James, Cardinal news, let me turn it back to you because I know you have something to say. This was pretty ugly. Dodgers um, in the final game of a series against the Phillies goes to extra innings. Max Muncy has a chance to get them out, and he muffles the ground ball, runs, scores, game over. James, I mean, just tell me how you're feeling. It was brutal. I mean, in the moment, it it's just brutal because they easily could have won that game. I mean, ha- you let two runs scored on the fumble, not just one. They had the lead, had it bottom of 10. Literally, if he fields the ball and throws the first, the game is over. Uh, win streak continues, no problem. Absolutely muff and fumbles it. Of course, he's playing in second base, not at his natural first base position. Uh but Andy Max Muncy's had a brutal season. I mean, just a brutal start to the season. But I don't have that much issue from it. Like, yes, it sucked. But really, my issue is with the Dodgers community at this point. Because after the game, you had people coming for his head, wanting him to be DFA'd by the team. Like, literally losing their mind. They're tweeting just terrible things at him. And it's like, guys, you're first in the first in your division and you dropped one game in extra innings. Like you were on a six game win streak. This is not like, like maybe they lose by a half a game and this air did keep them out of the playoffs. Okay, hold I on, don't hold think on. that's. Aren't you the same guy who had a whole segment the other week about how bad the Dodgers are doing and how you can't stand this team. And I was telling you it's an overreaction and overreaction. seems like now that's what you're accusing other Dodgers fans of. Well, see, I think it was different, uh, and I'll stand by it, but you can tell me if you think it is hypocritical. I'll take that. My problem was with the entire team and necessarily just how they were playing, dropping two series and just getting slugged on. I just don't think it's like this is not the time to come after a singular player for an error. That's kind of my thing. It's like it's one error, and we're looking for DFA of a hitter who has had some incredible moments in the World Series as of late. I just didn't, and you know he's slumping. It's like, man, we need to do everything we can to get him back to his natural form, not continue to dogpile on him. Yeah, that was like my, didn't... that was my question for you. Is is, I mean, obviously they shouldn't DFA him, but how are you feeling about his stats? Like, do you think they should try to give him triple A starts? I mean, right now he's batting one fifty six. His on base percentage, you know, that's kind of his thing because he can get all these walks. His on base percentage is only three thirty, so his OPS is at six ten. He just hasn't really been having a great season overall. Yeah, you know, I don't know. He did have the reconstructive elbow surgery over the offseason, so I don't know if it's coming back from that. And, and maybe it is time to get him some AAA looks and just let him see the baseball a little bit better and then uh, translate that at the highest level. But certainly, I mean, these fans asking for him to be DFA'd, you don't DFA uh, one of your more consistent hitters. Uh, just a ridiculous move. I certainly would not DFA him. You know, maybe it's time to go to the minors. You know, they don't necessarily need him their lineup is still insane without him so you could go without that it's just I didn't like the attack on the individual I have no problem when with saying oh the team's low the team's not now and I will tell you 
look, this is a playoff game. You're getting a totally different reaction from me, but it's a game in May. Like, it, it just wasn't really. They still won the series. They're playing good as of late. It just wasn't this giant issue I saw. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I am with you. I think you're right in saying that the Dodgers, like the Dodger fans, don't need to be so extreme um, in their feelings towards Max Muncy. But I do think it comes out of just frustration with his game. Right, he's been really slumping all season. Uh, he hasn't been hitting as well as he has been in the past couple of years. You know, he was an all star, and now he's not playing as well. And then now he causes this error to lose the game. So it's like now let's just pile up on Max Muncy. Um, I agree. It's you know it's one game in May, and it's just it's, it can be frustrating when a player is slumping and then he makes an even big an even bigger error. Right, and I just think for him, I mean. He's got to know that. And he even said, he's like, look, every day I'm trying to come out here and help the team win. And today I clearly didn't. And it's like, he knows. Like, I think more than anyone, he wants to throw that strike to first and get the hell out of there. Get out of Philadelphia with a sweep. But, you know, it happens. The last time the Dodgers had a critical error like this, I remember it was game two of the World Series with the crazy Brett Phillips thing. The result of that was a World Series championship. So that's the result of this season he can make as many errors as he wants yeah i mean hopefully he can get some get some get going during these next couple series i mean you got the nationals and the diamondbacks and the pirates so maybe he can get on a bit of a bit on a bit of a hitting streak i hope but with that being said talking about uh streaks i say just we move to the recurring segment our spicy and dicey of the week yes I agree. I, I'm a little worried that we might have some crossover here. I feel like there are only a only a handful of teams that would qualify for one of these distinctions. But how about I'll kick it off? I'll give you my. Would you want me to give you give me my good team or bad team? You you can give me good team. Okay. Okay. So my good team of the week, I have to go with the rival to your Dodgers, the San Diego Padres. Um, I think this team through over and over throughout the season has just proved themselves to be able to perform not only without Tatis, but with a, without Blake Snell and a lot of key pieces that have were kind of at the cornerstone of this rebuilding of this franchise. Um, and they've just really stepped up. You know, they're 27 and 14. They're only half game behind the Dodgers, who are obviously going to be one of the best teams in the base in baseball. And the Padres don't even have their best player. It's going into San Francisco, winning four in a row, seven and three in their last 10, starting a series at home against the Brewers tonight. So that'll be a big test. I really like this team and I really like how they're playing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think they are putting themselves in an incredible position to be able to stay this hot and this in it. I mean, if they can get Tatis back and they're a half game behind, it's crazy. You, you almost forget this Padres team is missing its best player. Right, right, and that that's not only gonna you know great be great to have him back, but it's gonna be a huge momentum boost when they can get his bat back in the lineup. They're all gonna be pumped up and ready to make this postseason push. I wasn't high on this team going into the year. I said they'd miss the playoffs, but I mean, if they keep playing like this, they they can do a lot of great things. Yeah, the other thing I add is it's not just his bat; it's all of that electricity he brings, the crazy fielding, the base running. All of that brings a boost, gets everyone else involved, gets them to maybe be a little bit aggressive or maybe lay out and make a play. Huge spark plug guy. I'm excited to see this team when they plug in. I do have to correct you, though. You said 
uh, a rival. I refuse to treat the Padres as a rival. Um, they are just a little brother to the Giants, in my opinion. Like, they want to be our rival, but I'm not giving them the time of day. <laughs> I think that's, fair. that's now, fair. Who do you got? Did I take yours or no? You did not. I kind of have a lot of different directions, and I'm not sure that I particularly like any of them, per se. Uh, but I think I have to go just out of fairness to a team that we've talked about, and that's the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. You know, we talked about them being scorching hot. They're 8-2 and two over the last 10. They're on a five-game winning streak. They still have that 10-game window in their division, but they look scorching hot. I mean, if Trevor Story can stay, obviously not at this level, but if he can get back to regular Trevor Story and sustain that with Bogarts operating, with Devers operating, J.D. bringing it, Kiki's coming alive, the pitching starting to kind of sure up a little bit, this Boston team could still be very dangerous. They could sneak into the playoffs, and in the playoffs, it's everyone is eligible. In the playoffs, it does not matter. Look at the 2019 Nats. This Boston team could very well be a team that makes a sneaky run. I'm feeling a little bit more confident in my plus 2,500 future on them to win a World Series. It's crazy how fast opinions change. You know, we were in here maybe two, maybe three episodes ago doing a whole segment about how the Red Sox are done. They're, they can't do anything right. All it takes is a hot week, and now you're saying you're look you're you're feeling good about your World Series bet. I mean, yeah. things can change quickly. I mean, I still look. I still don't think they win the World Series, but at that value, I, I like the uh, roster you're getting in return for that. So definitely, and I, that's almost why I wanted to pick them just to kind of you know there is that fairness. I'll dog on them when they're bad, but you have to respect when they're balling. Um, yeah, and we'll I do what, agree. Like you said, once you're in the playoffs, like it's anybody's game. Anybody can win the World Series once you're in the playoffs. Every team gets hot throughout the season. All you need to do is be hot at the right time in the postseason, and you can win a World Series. Look at the Braves last year, the Nationals, the Cardinals in 2011, maybe the best one. The Cardinals are definitely the best one. They uh, just barely, barely snuck in there. Uh, We were ten and a half games out of the wild card in September. But anyway. Yeah, so – well, I was just quick honorable mentions. Uh, have to still shout out the Twins. I didn't want to pick them because I picked them recently. But again, they seem to just be like the mark of a consistent club that wins. I love what you said earlier. They just win series. And when it comes down to the playoff pictures, if you just win every series you're involved, you're probably going. Yeah, another, I mean, I try not to pick teams like this, but you have to shout out the Yankees. Um, I mean, they're just on pace for an insane amount of wins. They just can't seem to lose. Twenty nine and twelve. You got, they're they're just they've been hot all year. But James, how about I turn to my dicey team? Um, this is where I'm scared we might have crossover because I feel like there's just an obvious pick. It's a disappointing team, um, and that's the Seattle Mariners. I mean, there's not much to say. We did a whole episode. We did a whole segment about them last week about how is it ready, is it time to ring the alarm bells yet? I, I think it might be. Um, I, you know, I know I just said that teams like the Red Sox can turn it around really quickly, and that's definitely possible here. But I think this team has a lot less proven stars as the Red Sox do. Right, The Red Sox were in the ALCS last year. They know what they're doing. This Mariners team was one that it seemed like you put a lot of these great pieces together. They, they had so much momentum at the end of last season. It's like everybody's rooting for them. And they add Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez. They add Robbie Ray. 
and it just seems like it's not it's not quite working. They're not getting the production they want. Logan Gilbert's been great, but I I don't know. It's it's been tough in Seattle. Just got swept by the Red Sox, who were struggling, and before that, lost two out of three to the Blue Jays. James, I see you nodding your head. Did you go to the same? Did you go the same way? Yeah, I I mean I think it. You know I I have some backups prepared, but there are without a doubt Seattle was like the team you have to look at if you're looking at teams that are just not there because it's like they're America's team. They're super exciting. They're bolstering their roster. You know you didn't even mention they're bringing in Julio Rodriguez, number three prospect, who's been pretty damn good for them. They just can't get it all clicking in the same game. They're not playing terribly. But, like, they have a four-run lead versus the Red Sox, and they, Trevor Story, single-handedly just beat the baseball out of the yard, hit 1,200 feet of home runs, lead gone. I mean, they just cannot close games, and it's sad because this is a team that I was super, super high on. You know, they're, they're a team I always find myself watching, and they just cannot get it done. And right when you thought Seattle was on the cusp of it, you know, and, you know, we could be talking, hopefully in two to three weeks, we're having the opposite conversation similar to the Red Sox, you know. But it really is unsettling to me that the Texas Rangers have passed them. Not that it's by a huge margin of games, not that the standings are complete in any way. But, like, for the Seattle team to be there, you certainly couldn't beat Texas. You had, or You have to beat them, and you have to be staring down Los Angeles and Houston and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and Houston Astros are playing lights out a different yeah. game as the Mariners. Just completely yeah, different I think, game. I think that's a good final point. It's like playing against the Astros and Angels, who are clearly two of the top, I don't know, six, five teams in baseball. Um, having to play them constantly, there were 14 times throughout the season, 28 total is not very fun. And, and the Rangers now picking it up a little bit, playing them can't be easy either. But you think that they're going into Fenway against a struggling Red Sox team. They can get some done. But Trevor Story decided to show up. Um, they start a series with the A's at home tonight. So, you know, maybe that's a chance to get some back. And also, interestingly enough, um, at home, the, the Mariners are very good. They're uh, nine. Well, not very good. They're nine and seven. But on the road, they're eight and 18. So they're just performing way better at home versus away. So they're playing three in a row against uh, the Athletics. So hopefully they can get some there. And then they host the Astros. Uh, so that'll be a big test. But hopefully this team can get something going. Yeah, I think a lot's going to come down to this series with Oakland. I mean, honestly, like I would never say one series or make or break on a season. But if they can't start to get some momentum, it's what we saw with the Red Sox. All you need is a little momentum kind of kickstart the engine. If they can't get that done in Oakland, they're going to get trounced by Houston and then it just at some point it's going to be too much to even come back from. And it's crazy how quickly something like that can happen. Imagine if they come in, go in or uh, host Oakland tonight and put up 15 runs with two homers from Jesse Winker. Like just something like that can get them going. Not that that's easy, but it, one game can change the whole season. Well, and that's, you know, if they could complete a sweep of Oakland, take that momentum to Houston, you know, they they could easily have a 7-3 and three last 10 split coming up here. And if they do that, you know, they're right back in the picture. I hope that happens, but with what we're seeing, it's hard to think that's going to happen. Um, I will, just in the spirit of the segment and fairness, give another dicey team. I was going to go with another team that had sort of the statistics, but it was one of those bottom five, bottom feeder clubs. Who cares? They're going to be bad. It was going to be the Royals. Whatever. The Royals stink. They suck. 
I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to give my dicey team to the Baltimore Oreos, Oreo, Oreos, <laughs> the Baltimore Orioles, singularly because of how they handled Adley Rushman. I love the video content. I love that. But this was like their moment. I mean, the one thing they had this season is this debut of this number one prospect, number one player, and you did it when the biggest event of the year in your state is happening and only had 17,000 fans in Camden. I'm sure if they gave a little heads up, they could have packed that place. So they're going dicey of the week just for how they handled that. I think that's a good justification. I will count it. I'm going to make a spreadsheet and go back through and, and see how see how these teams we picked have done. Remember the first week you picked the Reds as your spicy team? <laughs> and then from that point on, they were perennially dicey. I think they're still there playing a little bit better, but they're still forever dicey. How about we finish this episode off um, as we do on our Thursday episode these days? Review of Sunday Night Baseball, or Monday episode, my apologies. Review of Sunday Night Baseball last night. Pretty good one. Pretty exciting, I would say. Um, so when we previewed it, we got the pitchers wrong because it ended up being a double header, so everything was thrown out. Um, so we ended up getting an amazing pitching match, though. Michael Kopech uh, versus Luis Severino. So, and, and both pitchers really stepped up. I mean, Michael Kopech was perfect into the sixth. So that was pretty exciting. James even may have called it saying maybe we'll get a perfect game. Uh, Luis Severino was also a great seven innings pitched, no runs, five Ks, no walks, eight hits. But the big story, Tim Anderson, three-run home run to make it 5-0, and the White Sox hold on to win. It's pretty good on James. That, that was also in the eighth inning. So all five runs, eighth inning for the White Sox. We had a great one down to the wire, exciting pitching matchup. You know, I was really hoping for the perfect game. It was the wrong pitcher, but my prediction was still kind of working and working, thought we could have something. I think without a doubt, you know, this game, it's got to be known. Tim Anderson, as he's rounding the path, he silences the Yankees fan, finger up to the mouth, lets him know you're quiet, lets Josh Donaldson know you got to be quiet, everyone's got to be quiet. The TA7 show is here. By the way, he ranks first in like every offensive category for shortstops right now. Kind of a sneaky fact there. But yeah, this is the Tim Anderson game. I think I want to get into this trend. I think we should name a rounding third player of Sunday Night Baseball and every Monday episode. I think this is a consensus pick. Would you agree with me? This has to go to TA7. Only reason I would say there's a doubt is because Michael Kopech totally shut down the Yankees. I mean, this is a lineup that's been the hottest in baseball, and he held them to one hit in seven innings pitched. I mean, that's pretty solid. But Tim Anderson, I mean, I think I think if we were going to put a name on this game, it would be the Tim Anderson game. So I think that that's a fair, fair player for MVP. I think if we didn't have the, all the drama with Josh Donaldson, maybe it's a different question. But in light of that, this was their last regular season meetup. It was kind of the nail in the coffin. Tim Anderson said, actually, this is how the situation is. I'm on top. See you guys later. Yeah, it was a good White one. Sox, White Sox steal two in the Bronx in this, win the series. Yeah, it's a big win for them. Uh, they're finally back over 500, and to take two out of three from the Yankees, who just took three out of four in Chicago, to come back and take two out of three, huge momentum booster. And getting that Tim Anderson electric moment and an amazing start from Michael Kopech, that's like one of those momentum-shifting games we talked about. 
Yeah, incredible game. Again, it was a shame that you didn't have K-Rod. I think they mandated should be calling any game in the Bronx. That's like a total snafu on the production. But still great game. Loved what we're seeing. This season's super exciting. It's going to be a fun one. And excited to keep showing up here, Max, and relaying and calling it as we see it. Yep, another good episode. I'm very, I'm looking very much forward to watching this Cardinal Blue Jays game. So, great episode, James. It was always fun talking baseball. Always fun. Let's call it there. Thanks, everyone.